Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. You want to turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, please. I was preparing for a life of service when I was 20 years old and studying the Word and went to college to become a, a pastor. And I was studying at, uh, First Timothy because it's, you know, the pastoral epistles, they give you instructions on how to be a spiritual leader. And uh, I ran across a term that's used five or six times, actually six or seven times in the Greek New Testament. It's an unusual term. It's, in fact, uh, when you go to Greek word studies, and because I'm not a, a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but when you go to the books that, of the scholars, they, uh, several people say this is an almost an untranslatable word. Not because it's such a difficult term, but because it's so uh, rich with meaning, it's hard to nail down one particular, one particular definition. And it's the Greek word epiakis. And epiakis is, uh, it means a bunch of things. It means reasonable, being human with humans, being moderate, not extreme, not legalistic, patient, not picky, uh, not being unduly rigid, forbearing, gentle, not exactingly just, one who is satisfied with less than his due, a sweet reasonableness. Willing, I'm just reading definitions that I've read of this word. Willing to meet someone halfway. Justice and then some. This person knows, that has epiacus knows when to relax justice and introduce mercy. Considerate, it's often translated in the NIV. Humanely Christian. A generous treatment of others which doesn't insist on the letter of the law. Do you know people like this? Uh, makes allowances so that justice doesn't injure. The opposite of strictly claiming your rights, taking human weakness into account. It's a quality of mind and heart that makes allowances for others. And I, I, uh, this was 30 years ago when I was studying this word and realizing this is a good quality. I, I, I want to shoot for this. And I, I uh, have had occasion in the last six months or so to review this study of this word and share it with a couple of people. And, and, I, and so I decided to prepare a teaching on this uh, for other people and subsequently realized I need it more than the people that I was hoping would be here to hear my sermon uh, today. Let's see. Yeah, they're here. And, uh, but the thing about it is that uh, I almost begged out of it because I've been doing so poorly in this area myself this uh, last, oh, two or three weeks. I had to apologize to somebody before the service about something just even this morning, um, something that I had done that was in direct contrast to Epiacus. Um, so really, this message is for me, and you're welcome to eavesdrop as I talk to myself. But I have five passages in the New Testament that we'll look at. If you want to look on the inside of your bulletin, there's a little half sheet that gives you those passages. You can fill in a couple of blanks and make some notes if you like. 
You might want to just call this what God is saying to Barney, if you want to entitle it that way. But the first one is in Philippians 4, verse 5. And, and that's where he says in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Let's, let's say that together. Let's say that verse together. You ready? Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. You know, Philippians, where is Paul when he writes Philippians? It's in jail. And uh, his main thing is to do, encourage them. Dude, if I go to jail for some righteous thing I did, I'm probably not writing any letters to encourage anybody else. I'm writing letters to get out. Pray that I'll get out. Well, what he does is he says in chapter 3 or chapter 4 here, first thing he does is he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. And then he says, don't be anxious. Don't be bummed, don't be mean, and don't be anxious. Don't be bummed, don't be mean, don't be anxious. And he says, let it be evident to all this gentleness, this epiacus. Let it be evident, this making allowances for others, this sweet reasonableness. Let it be evident, because when, when you have epiacus, it's evident. When, it, when you don't have it, it's also evident. You know when you got it and you know when you don't got it. And he, he says, one of the, what's the inspiration to it in this passage? What's the inspiration, Apiacus? Lord is near. Now, of course, there could be a debate about whether he's talking space or time, right? He's close, so he's right there. He's either, either there to right close to you to convict you or right close to you to empower you to change. Or maybe time. He's coming back really soon. And he's going to fix it all. And uh, I think, yes, that's true. Both of those are true. It's, he's close in space and in time. And as a result, uh, exercise epiacus. Because my first reaction, if I'm in suffering like Paul is, is not, my first natural reaction is not epiacus. My first natural reaction is, is something other than that. So, Philippians 4, 5. The second one is in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And let's read that verse together. You ready? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And this in James chapter 3 is a teaching on good and bad wisdom. Believe it or not, there's bad wisdom. He talks about bad wisdom earlier than this in James chapter 3. And the bad wisdom, he says, comes from where? Do you remember this passage? Where does it come from? The bad wisdom. He says it's earthly, sensual of the devil. It's earthly, sensual of the devil. And it's, it's, uh, it's conceited and it's competitive and it's mean-spirited and it's all these other things. In other words, people that think they're wise, you know, uh, philosophy actually means the love of wisdom. Really, it's the love of looking wise. And people want to look wise and, be er- and are rather arrogant about it as a result of that and have this bad wisdom that's earthly sensual of the devil. But this wisdom that James talks about is a good wisdom, and it's a wisdom that comes from heaven. And notice the list of things that this wisdom encompasses. It's pure, peace-loving, epiacus, considerate. It's submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. 
you know, these, these qualities, Epiacus seems to come in lists of qualities. They run in packs. These, uh, these qualities of character kind of run in packs. And, uh, and in this case, it runs in a pack of about five or six, seven things here. This reasonability, this being human with humans. If you have this wisdom that comes from God, you'll be considerate and as opposed to the opposite of the, the, the wisdom that comes from the devil or from the earth or from our sin nature. It's right between what two qualities? What do you see? What are the two qualities that are on either side of Epiacus in this passage? Peace-loving and submissive. So uh, peace-loving and submissive. Actually, the word submissive there means to be easily entreated, easy to approach, not somebody that's hard to, to talk to, not rigid, inflexible, opinionated, but they're teachable. Well, Epiacus goes right along with that. Consider it. Not holding to the letter of the law and being, uh, not, not that they're against justice, but they are concerned about the person's uh, feelings and so on. And then uh, the passage that I first discovered this term in is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Let's read this together. You ready? Now the overseer. Let's read it. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. This is one of two, actually three lists in the New Testament in the pastoral epistles that describe character qualities for spiritual leaders. The overseer here, the Greek word is episkopos, and, you know, they've got presbyteros and episkopos, but they're probably the same guy. It's the, it's the, it's the people who are the spiritual leaders in the church. Their, their role is to oversee. They, they oversee in the church. And they're to be above reproach, husband about one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and it goes on from there. There are several other things that are included. Temperate is the term. It's an interesting translation of it, actually. Temperate, what does temperate actually mean? What does just the word, the English word temperate mean? I'm sorry. Say it again. Okay, when you temper something, strengthened by fire, okay. Moderate, moderation. It's interesting, you know, was it in the 1920s they called it the temperance movement? And really, it wasn't the temperance movement. It was the abstinence from alcohol movement, right? And they called it temperance because I guess the people that named it, I don't know who gets to name movements, uh, but whoever named it thought the most moderate way to uh, relate to alcohol was to abstain from it. Now, just before I even talk any further about this, uh, those of you that know me, I gave a message a couple of years ago called Why I Don't Drink. I am a an abstainer from alcohol. My dad was an alcoholic, and it just definitely runs in the blood, and I was a teenage drug addict and alcoholic, no doubt. So I'm an abstainer, totally. But that's not really what temperance means. You know, in fact, some people that think this word is in reference to alcohol, that's mistaken because it's not about alcohol at all. Temperate means moderate in this, in this regard, and it's epiacus. Now, I'm not saying that you should drink alcohol or not. I'm just saying that's not what this verse is even about. There's another passage where he says, not addicted to much alcohol. Uh, that's another passage, and that's for another day. You can listen to that uh, tape, by the way. It's called Why I Don't Drink, if you're interested. But in this case, this is Epiacus. And he's really talking to spiritual leaders. One of the things that they need is a patience with people's progress. 
It could be a verse to parents too, couldn't it? (laughs) Patient with people's progress. I think the spiritual leader, as he says, the first thing he says, he's got to be above reproach. In other words, so he he sets the bar real high or she sets the bar real high and, and clears it some most of the time and sometimes doesn't clear the bar and sets the bar real high for others and encourages them to clear it as well but doesn't necessarily write them off when they knock the bar off all the time or often. They're considerate. Notice that, that, he's, that he's saying this to a spiritual leader and it's a, good, it, it's a person that's supposed to model these character qualities. I think these character qualities are for every Christian, uh, certainly, but uh, certainly should be in the life of a spiritual leader. And then the next passage is another pastoral epistle, but it's not actually Paul to Titus about how to be a leader. It's Paul to Titus to tell other people. So this is for the rest of the the body of Christ because he says, remind people, remind the people. You're a spiritual leader. I'm your mentor, Paul is saying. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, he says that a lot to, t- to Titus, by the way, and to sl- uh, the, the, the good works thing, and to slander no one, and to be peaceable and considerate and to tro- show true humility toward all men. Peaceable, epiacus, and to show true humility toward all men. It's sandwiched in between peaceable and humility this time. When you're peaceable, you don't want to go to war with people. It's not something you like going to... You're not a combater. You don't want to be combative. You don't want to go to war with people on one side. And then humility is on the other side, which means I know I haven't arrived myself. So you don't want to go to war with people and, 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 and you know that you haven't arrived to great spiritual uh, heights yourself. And so in between there, you can be epiacus. You can be considerate of others because you can cut them slack. Instead of warring with them, you can cut them some slack for how far they have or haven't gotten. Does that make sense? So he says epiacus. I I think that a key is to remember how long it took you to change and how far you still have to go that will help you to have epiacus. How many of you just got... Entire sanctification the moment you receive Jesus. Can I see your hand? Yeah. It's taking human weakness into account. Can I read you a, a, a portion out of Mere Christianity since we're reading it? In fact, you know, when we finish reading this book, we're supposed to have like a little discussion like we did on The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We brought our sandwiches and sat in the spotlight room and had a great little discussion on the, the book. There's just no way in the world we can do this with Mere Christianity. I, I mean, we should do it after every page. What I'm doing is I'm reading, you know, the the chapters are like a page and a half or two or three sometimes. I'm going, we could spend an hour and a half on that little two or three page chapter. So I don't know how we're going to do it, but someday we will. And we'll just hit the highlights somehow. But anyway, here's a a portion out of Mere Christianity. Um, This is in the chapter called Morality and Psychoanalysis. He, he talks about Freud and his discoveries about the inner, the, the inner psyche of, of man. And he's not necessarily saying it's a good thing. I'm just You read the chapter and you can assess it yourself. But let me just read a portion. It says, Human beings judge one another by their external actions. God judges them 
by their moral choices. When a neurotic has a pathological horror of cats, uh, forces himself, he didn't say a pathological disdain for cats, he said a fear, horror of cats, forces, I like cats, yeah, I, I like cats, they're good. When a neurotic has a pathological uh, horror of cats, forces himself to pick up a cat for some good reason, it is quite possible that in God's eyes he has shown, shown more courage than a healthy man may have shown in winning the Medal of Honor. When a man who has been perverted from his youth and taught that cruelty is the right thing, when that man does some tiny little kindness or refrains from some cruelty he might have committed and thereby perhaps risks being sneered at by his companions, he may, in God's eyes, be doing more than you and I would if we gave up life itself for a friend. Interesting, just a, just a thought, just a thought for you to meditate about. Epiacus, I think, at least thinks about those things. Peter Marshall, the, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, said, Lord, when we're wrong, make us willing to change. When we're right, help us to be easy to live with. Amen. The last uh, of the five, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face to face with you, but bold went away, quote, bold went away. Epiacus is the gentleness part. He, he says it's a characteristic of Jesus, and if you want to be like Jesus, it's one of the things that you have to at least shoot for. The Christian life is, is not at all hard to live. It's absolutely and utterly and thoroughly impossible. The only way it can ever be lived is by Jesus, because he's the Christ. And the only way that a person can ever live the Christian life is by having Jesus inside him or her and letting Jesus live his sweet life through them. Amen to that? I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, so when he says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, it, one thing he's saying, he modeled it to me, but the other thing he's saying is he gives it to me. He's living it in me. And it's interesting uh, because the Corinthians, were, there, was a, there was a problem uh, with a group of super apostles, he calls them, who were uh, trying to uh, cast aspersions on Paul's character by saying many things. And one of the things that they were trying to, uh, to convince the Corinthian church about was that Paul is manipulative and, 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 and uh, fearful. He's manipulative by when he writes letters when he's, you know, 100 miles away, he gets in your face. But when he's right next to you looking in your eyes, he's not at all... Uh, he's, he's timid and fearful and won't really tell you the truth there because he's afraid to really confront people in person. And he put those two things in quotes uh, because he's basically saying, well, that's the rap, but that's just not the case. The case is uh, that I'm, I, he, in fact, at one point he says, you know, please do us all a favor by really seriously considering what I'm writing about right now so that I don't have to embarrass myself and you when we come and I do have to get in your face. So in other words, and, and, and he said, I, at one point he said, I hurt you by my other letter. And he said, 
I was grieved for a minute and then I saw that you repented and then I realized that sorrow led you to repentance and so I'm not grieved anymore because you changed and that was good and I didn't mean you any harm and he said I didn't harm you in any way and so on. So he's, he's, he's disputing this rap that he's, uh, he's timid when, when close and, and bold when away. The elders and myself made a deal that among ourselves and, uh, uh, and others, that we wouldn't use email to, uh, to communicate emotionally stressful interactions. Because you can't, when you get an e- how many of you ever got an, an, an emotionally stressful interaction through an email? Oh my goodness, it's just, or a letter, it's just, it, you know, it's just awful because, and, and it's just so, you know, this email is just so quick, you know, and so you can just, well, there you go, you know, and, but you can't, there's no heart in it. There's no, you can't look in a person's eyes. You can't interact. You can't hear the tone of voice. You can't, you can't, you know, come and hug and say, I love you, but I have to, or whatever. You can't do that in an email. And uh, it wasn't, and I'm the one that made the rule. In fact, one of the elders has the, uh, we, we started, before we actually got to this rule, we got to the stage where we said, Okay, here's the only way that you can, you can communicate an emotionally stressful interaction via email is if the person reading it pictures or hears Dolly Parton's voice uh, in, uh, as you read the uh, email, that you hear Dolly Parton's voice, and then, you know, it kind of softens it like that. We all tried that for a while. It didn't work very well, so we, we just said, I don't, we just don't want to do this to anybody, to ourselves. Let's not do that. And so I made the rule. We all agreed. We're in, in good shape. And then uh, without even a week passing by, I did it again and had to apologize to somebody that I spoke truth, but uh, in an email and said, I'm sorry. And they, apolog- they, they accepted my apology. Thank God. It wasn't one of the elders. It was somebody else. But Paul says, uh, epiacus is the, is the quality here, a gentleness. A, uh, doesn't mean you don't speak the truth. It just means that there's a, the heart of Jesus behind speaking the truth. Graceful. Graceful. Grace. Full of grace. You know, some people are so full of truth, they, they don't have any room for grace. Others are so full of grace, they don't have any room for truth. But what does it say of Jesus? He was full of grace and truth. Not insisting on the letter of the law being patient with where people are. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. The purpose of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Understanding people understand people. Is there understanding? They have epiacus. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's another quality from Proverbs. They're human with humans. Uh, they leave room for the Holy Spirit. Another passage that you can... I, I encourage you to look those passages up, those uh, Proverbs. And then I encourage you to study this one too. I won't go through it much right now. But accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat anything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. He's talking about, uh, about Gentile and Jew 
uh, issues, disputable matters, things that are up for conviction, up for grabs, personal conviction. So this isn't really about things that are black and white, evil, good, but about disputable matters. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who, who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone, judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. I especially like that last couple of verses because he's just saying, you know, he has a master and that master might not have let you in on his agenda for that, his own servant. You, you see what I'm saying? Because God is this person's master. And if I then assume that I have the agenda and don't submit to the the, the real master's agenda in that person's life, I can, uh, I probably won't be, have very much epiacus and be judgmental. Um, the epiacus person is the safest person to be with on your worst day. Have you had any worst days lately? Isn't it awful when you're on one of those worst days and you're around a person without any epiacus. I discern that you are bereft of epiacus. And I discern that it wouldn't be good for you and I to be in the same room for more than about 10 seconds together today. Catherine Marshall, who was the wife of Peter Marshall that I quoted earlier, she went on a fast of criticalness. She wasn't going to fast food or television or golf. Uh, she was going to fast criticalness for a whole day. And here's her journal entry. She, well, her, her description of the day. She said, for the first half of the day when I'm fasting criticalness, I, sa- I simply felt a void, almost as if I had been wiped out as a person, erased as a person. This was especially true at lunch with my husband, Len, oh, my husband, Len, my mother, my son, Jeff, my secretary, all present. Several topics came up, school, prayer, abortion, the ERA amendment, about which I have definite opinions. I listened to the others and kept silent. Barbed comments on the tip of my tongue about certain world leaders were suppressed. In our talkative family, no one seemed to notice Bemused, I noticed that my comments were not missed. (laughs) The federal government, the judicial system, and the institutional church could apparently get along fine without my penetrating observations. But still, I didn't see what this fast on criticism was accomplishing until mid-afternoon. For several years, I had been praying for one talented young man whose life had gotten sidetracked. Perhaps my prayers for him had been too negative. That afternoon, a specific positive vision for his life was dropped into my mind with God's unmistakable hallmark on it, joy. Ideas began to flow in a way that I had not experienced in years. Now it was apparent what the Lord wanted me to see. My critical nature had not corrected a single one of the multitudinous things I found fault with. What it had done was to stifle my own creativity in prayer, in relationships, perhaps even in writing ideas 
that he wanted to give me. A fast on criticalness for 24 hours. I Like with fasting food, I recommend that you start with shorter uh, lengths of time. <clears throat> Let's just work on like, I don't know, five minutes at a time, you know. And we'll, we'll announce it in the bulletin and we'll, we'll do that. And we'll work up to a whole day someday. <clears throat> so I'm just saying, how's your epiacus? So doing, how is your epiacus anyway? <laughs> in Mere Christianity, uh, the great chapter uh, on pride, he calls it the great sin. Two kinds of people. There's the proud who think they're humble and the humble who think they're proud. Sometimes it's just good to admit that you need help and need to be better. At viewing the world and, and others around you, not through that le- negative lens. Is that your default? Is that your default approach to seeing people? I apologize to somebody earlier uh, before the service because... <laughs> Honestly, it sounds like I'm, you know, Mr. Apology and Mr. Humble. I knew it because I was going to stand here and they were going to hear me say these things. And I wanted them to know that I really was sorry for the thing that I did earlier in the week that violated what I was going to say today. Had I been preaching on the second coming or something, I probably wouldn't have apologized. (laughs) Wouldn't even have uh, crossed my mind. But I I, uh, apologized for being judgmental to them about somebody else. In fact, I saw them, I saw the, these two people squirm when I said something just just cutting and unkind about somebody else that wasn't in the room. And I was kind of convicted about it a while, and then I did it again with this same, one of these two same people about somebody else. And I saw them try to kind of adjust and go, well, you know how you do when somebody is kind of negative about somebody? You go, well, you know, they're pretty nice. You know, you try to figure something out to, you know, counteract that negative thing. And, and uh, uh, so I, I said, will you forgive me for being like that? It's just, you know, I'm kind of in a slump right now. I've been swinging and missing about this epiacus thing.